Hello out there, listeners, and welcome to the second episode of Movies and Things, a show where we talk about exactly what it says, movies and other things as well. I'm your host, Kate and Barry, once again, and you, if you're out there, first of all, I want to say hello to all 11 listeners in our audience currently. Uh, I believe 11 people, give or take, tuned into the last episode, which I think I filmed or recorded back in April. So to our 11 active listeners of one episode, welcome back. And if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome aboard. Know that you have not missed very much because I have taken a an unexpected hiatus from this for quite a long time but anyways like I said so welcome back everybody to movies and things and I'm your host Kate and Barry and this is a show where you know we just talk about movies and things like that in general Uh, if you want to find me on social media you can find me at Kate and Barry on Facebook or at Kate and dot Barry on Instagram I also have a website kateandberrywriting.com So now we've got that shameless plug out of the way, and let's get into the topic of today's episode. So for today's episode, what we're doing, as many of you know, it is October, and that means this month is Halloween. And so all throughout the month, we're going to be doing different Halloween-themed episodes, talking about different movies, shows, things like that, that are associated with Halloween we're just going to be talking about the holiday in general. It's, you know, Halloween's one of the... It's one of my favorite holidays because it officially, in my opinion, is the holiday that kicks off the holiday season. Because you've got Halloween, then you got Thanksgiving, and you got Christmas virtually back-to-back. And so Halloween is kind of the, kind of the opening act to the main event, if you say. And so we're going to be celebrating Halloween all month long here on Movies and Things. And so appropriately enough, today's main topic, we're going to be talking about uh, the new Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix. We're going to be talking about that very soon coming up. And then after we talk about my thoughts on the new film, we're going to talk a little, I'm going to talk a little bit about my thoughts on the Joker character in general. Like I said, it's Halloween. I think the Joker very much is very much Halloween related for obvious reasons. You see people dress up as him every year. He's a scary, he's a scary villain. So that's what we're going to be doing to kick off the Halloween season here on Movies and Things. So stay tuned. So let's go ahead and talk about the Joker and, you know, the new uh, Joaquin Phoenix film. Um, I saw it last night, opening night, and it's it's a tough film to talk about because there's so many different angles to how you can talk about this movie. Uh, Do you talk about it as a straightforward comic book film? Do you talk about it 
um, you know, for its social commentary. There's just, there's a lot to dissect in this film that I'm not sure I'm going to do too great of a job of in this segment, but I'm going to try my best. I'll, I'll say this. This is a very different comic book movie. What I personally like about it is so, uh, the film is set, uh, in the 1980s and it's before, uh, Bruce Wayne becomes Batman. So there's no Batman at all in this film, really. And I think that opens the film up to a lot of unique opportunities because this is really one of the first villain films that I've seen, or one of the first, I guess what you call comic book films I've seen, that really just focuses on the villain. Yes, in the past we've had stuff like Venom and Suicide Squad, but those films, even though they were technically about villains, they still had them doing superhero things, they still had supernatural threats they had to defeat, um, and the fact that they were villains was kind of secondary. But here, because there is no superhero, there's no Batman, it's just um, an origin story about the Joker. And I like that because there are scenes in this film that are very um, disturbing and very difficult to digest along with just the film's subject matter. And what's interesting about that is the audience knows that, you know, there are going to be these big violent scenes, but there isn't going to be a superhero to come stop them because there are no real heroes in this film. And that is just, that's just a really interesting angle to me. Uh, Let's see. But... I think what most people are going to talk about when it comes to this film is obviously the uh, disturbing subject matter and the amount of violence there is. And there is. That's definitely worth talking about. A lot of people are talking about, you know, uh, does this film glorify violence at all? And to be honest... After seeing the film and kind of taking a good hard look at it, I don't think it glorifies violence. You can definitely relate a lot of what happens in this film to these mass shootings and levels of violence that we see in today's political climate. And I think if this film does anything, it doesn't it doesn't say that you know, when these mass shootings happen, it doesn't say that, you know, um, you shouldn't feel sorry for the victims. Because obviously that's not true. But it does say that you have to sometimes look at the people committing these acts and realizing that they come from an environment where you know, they're raised in awful conditions. Society, a lot of times, has not been kind to these people. 
And that's what kind of drives them insane. And that's what happens with our main character here in this film. So, uh, like I said, this film, it does give Joker an origin story. His name in this iteration of the film is Arthur Fleck. This is an origin story that hasn't really been done in comics. There are similarities to the Batman comic called The Killing Joke. There are some parallels, but ultimately this film tells its own story. Basically, Arthur Arthur Fleck, he is a struggling uh, comedian. He's sort of, he's a clown that does promotional events and things like that. But he also tries to break out into the world of stand-up comedy. And he has to care for his mother, who is virtually insane. And he has a deep, deep, deep connection with his mother. And he's actually not, in many ways, even though he does terrible things, Arthur himself is not necessarily a bad guy. Throughout the film you really come to sympathize for Arthur as a character. He, you realize he is a, you know, they talk a lot about there being tragic heroes. Arthur, in this case, when he becomes the Joker, is a tragic villain. He just wants to be seen and recognized, and yet society keeps beating on him, in some cases, literally. There's a scene at the beginning where he is holding up a sign at one of his promotional events and he, you know, he's wearing his clown makeup and stuff like that and these kids come up to him and steal his sign and then they beat the crap out of him for no reason. So society hasn't been very kind to him. And then, you know, at first he kind of takes it, he kind of rubs off his, rolls off his back a little bit. But then more and more and more events like that start to happen. And he starts to see society in a different way than how the average person does. And so what I really think is commendable about this film is, you know, you kind of got to give kudos to DC for trying something new because... You know, even though, yes, there have been movies about the Joker before, and I guess you could technically call this a Batman film in that it is Batman adjacent, even though Batman himself is not in the movie. Some of his characters are. Some of the characters associated with his story are. And I gotta say, you know, the Joker is a character who is... He's iconic. He's become an iconic villain similar to, you know, Darth Vader in Star Wars or Lord Voldemort in Harry Potter. But when you see a Star Wars film or a Harry Potter film, obviously those are very fantasized. And they, you know, they tell fantasy stories. This, with this film though, what DC and Warner Brothers have done is they've taken a character who's very popular across all generations, kids and adults, and they use um, a popular character, in this case the Joker, to talk about real-world issues and kind of use Joker 
as a metaphor. And that, I think, is very, very commendable. I think something that is important with this kind of film is you look back on the the other two most popular iterations of Joker, which are Jack Nicholson in the 1989 Tim Burton film, and then Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. And, you know, you look at those two performances, and they're very different. Even though they are the same character, they're very different versions of the same character. And so this kind of film, I think its main goal is to do something new with the character, or at least, I don't know if it's, if it's its main goal, but it should be its first priority. It's got to do something new with the Joker character, because this character has been done, you know, even just, aside from Jack Nicholson's performance and Heath Ledger's performance, this character has been done in so many different, you know, comic books, video games, TV shows, there's been so many iterations of this character, so when you do a new iteration, you have to bring something new to the table. And that's exactly what Joker does. More so than I think any other iteration that I've seen. The Joker film, I think, is the first that really gets the audience to sympathize with the Joker. You really feel where he's coming from, and you do come to feel bad for him. Previous iterations, like I said, referring back to Nicholson and Heath Ledger, those were more... Those weren't really about feeling for them as characters. Those performances were more about um, kind of almost being afraid of them and seeing them as some version of the villain. And don't get me wrong... Arthur is definitely the villain of the story this time around, but he's a tragic villain. You learn more about his past and you come to understand why he takes the drastic measures that he does. Um, it's just a, it's just all around a fascinating, a fascinating film. And what I really like about it is that it's very, it's just very unique. You can't escape the fact that this is a film that it's hard to put into words because like I said, sometimes, you know, sometimes a film can be hard to put into words because there's not a lot to say about it. This is the opposite. There's a lot to say about this film. And that's because the film ha in itself has a lot to say. Which can be kind of rare um, in films these days, especially superhero films. Something that definitely needs to be reiterated. For anyone that hasn't gotten this message yet, when you, know, when you see these giant theater chains talking about how you, know, you shouldn't take kids to go see this movie... They are absolutely right. This is not a, uh, a comic book film that kids need to see. It's very dark. It's very disturbing. It is, it's not 
as violent as I think a lot of people are making it out to be. The violence, while it is there and it is definitely disturbing, it's not all throughout. It's more just in little bursts, especially towards the end. But the 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 graphic imagery is still there. And it's mixed in, obviously, with subject matter that is very difficult for, I think, kids these days to understand. And so I really like that DC is taking... DC and Warner Brothers, they're sort of taking an approach to, you know, having a comic book film that really transcends the genre. It definitely pushes the envelope. You could compare this, obviously the previous two uh, most popular R-rated comic book films that have come out are Deadpool and then Logan, which were both part of the X-Men universe, and Marvel did those. But whereas those were about, you know, those were still superhero movies, though. They were still about superheroes having to overcome a villain and things like that. And so, but like I said, that's not the kind of film that we have here. This is just about the villain and nothing else and it's just he's going to go insane and basically what the film does is it explains to the audience why he's going insane and that to me is just really interesting I think something that's also uh, worthy to note is that at one point um, Martin Scorsese was attached to direct this film And you can definitely tell by watching this movie, even though he eventually had to drop out, that his influence was pretty much carried throughout. I mean, you could almost... You could almost say it it really is a Martin Scorsese film. The... It would be a fair comparison to compare it to, to uh, Taxi Driver, which is debatably Martin Scorsese's best film. Um, even though, truth be told, I'm not a huge Taxi Driver fan, I can definitely see why they use that film as inspiration. What I, both uh, Arthur Fleck or the Joker and the character of Taxi Driver, which is Travis Bickle, they both start off in very similar scenarios. They're both kind of losers who are down on their luck and society has sort of picked on them. They both have a sort of a sort of love interest um, that they have to kind of deal with in society. Um, the main difference here, though, and where I think Joker actually in some ways is better than Taxi Driver, or at least more interesting, is in Taxi Driver, Travis Bickle, he kind of becomes sort of a hero in his own way, and that isn't really the case here with Joker. This is like more what you could say if Travis Bickle 
became a full-on villain because, I mean, Travis Bickle, you know, he, you know, he killed people at the end, but those were bad people. Joker just pretty much just kills anybody he wants um, at this point in the film. And um, so I think it was really interesting to see how Arthur Fleck, he, he started in a familiar place that we've all seen in many different movies like Taxi Driver, but he goes a route that isn't often seen, even though because characters know who, because people know who he is, obviously we as an audience know what direction he's going to go in, but it was just really cool to see a film play out in that way. Something else I think is also worthy to note is that even though this film, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't actually have Batman in it, but it has a lot of, it intersects with the Batman mythology. Um, not, it doesn't reference it too frequently. It doesn't reference, you know, countless different Batman villains and countless different Batman characters. It mostly keeps it in line with the early years of Bruce Wayne before he became Batman, kind of when he was a kid. And it does take a couple different uh, Batman characters. And it does provide... A, a unique spin. So what I would say in regards to how it connects with the Batman mythology is that it definitely um, goes toe-to-toe with it. It definitely, you know, the story definitely intersects with part of how Batman came to be Batman, but it also offers some unique twists as well. Which is both a good and a bad thing because there does come a point in the film where one of the film's uh, biggest supporting characters is Thomas Wayne, who in this iteration is running for mayor. He's still very rich, but he's kind of a corrupt politician. And Arthur has been personally affected by some of uh, Thomas Wayne's decisions. And there comes a point about halfway through the film where Arthur discovers something about Thomas Wayne that really puts a unique spin on how the typical Batman story is told. And it really offers a lot of unique possibilities when it comes to thinking about how this twist could affect the Batman-Joker relationship that will develop later once Bruce Wayne actually becomes Batman in the future. It opens up a lot of doors for that kind of thinking. But then, it so it twists that, it gives a twist on that, but then it retwists that scenario and it sets things back to the status quo. And I'm not going to give away any specifics here because I don't like to give away spoilers for people that haven't seen it. But even though both the, 
the initial twist and the reset to the status quo are definitely what ignite uh, Arthur Fleck to finally make that transition from just criminal to Joker. It, I feel like the film loses a lot of its, some of its momentum when the status quo is reset to what audiences already know is the base is part of the basic Batman story but so yeah it kind of brings some of the film's momentum to a halt when that happens because then you realize that you know you can't really even wonder now what the future of the of this film's version of the Batman mythos could be because they set it back to how it normally is in the comics and how it's seen in previous films. But the good thing is it doesn't do this for too long because right after the status quo is reset is when, like I said, Arthur finally becomes full Joker and we really, as an audience, start to see the extent of what he is capable of. And that is when the film definitely becomes more of what some... I don't know if I'd call it a bloodbath, but it's kind of like... In a lot of ways, it's also very similar to Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, obviously, has a lot of bloody scenes spread throughout, but not every scene is just bloody, bloody violence. A lot of it is about character building, as is common in a lot of Tarantino films. So, in that regard, the Joker film is also kind of like a Tarantino movie. It is very um, character-based. More so than a lot of comic book-related films are today. Something I will say about this film is that I keep calling it a comic book film, but it really isn't a comic book film. It's just that's the easiest genre to put it in. When you really look back on it, though, if you take away the the Batman-related elements, which is actually very easy to do, there's really nothing about this film that, in spite of who the characters are, the film feels very real. Like... You know, it it relates itself naturally back to a lot of the tragic mass shootings that happen today. And so as such, there's really nothing about this film that feels like it's a fantasy. All of it feels like it really could happen if the proper precautions aren't taken. And it's just tough to put a grade on it. But Joker is just a tremendously well-done film. I think that, you know, superhero movies or comic book films, there are a dime a dozen these days that's partially based thanks to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And DC has played a fair share in that as well because they put out a lot of comic book films. Um... Some better than others recently, but this is definitely one of their better films. 
uh, not just of recent, but of probably their entire library. This is probably one of the best DC films that I've seen, uh, period, not just in recent years. But it really transcends the genre because this kind of story could also be told without characters like the Joker or some of the other Batman characters that are in there. You could tell this story with any character. I just really have to applaud uh, DC and Warner Brothers for taking one of their most popular characters and using that character's given platform to talk about a real issue that is present in today's society. I think The Joker is a very smart film. I think it's a very important film. And I really believe that, you know, it's getting a lot of Oscar buzz. It deserves all the buzz that it gets. And I, it might be too early to say, but I think looking back on this film, you know, maybe 10 years from now, looking back on not just this film, but comic book films in general, there are going to be certain ones that stand out for really innovating within the genre. And like I said, in this film's case, transcending the genre. And Joker is going to be a prime example of one of those films. So welcome back to the show. And so now I just want to talk about something kind of branching off from what we've been talking about before. I want to compare Heath Ledger's performance in The Dark Knight with Jack Nicholson's performance in the 1989 Tim Burton Batman. And I want to compare that with Joaquin Phoenix's performance in the new film. We're not going to include Jared Leto because, yeah, we're just not. Okay. (laughs) So, what's so interesting is that, you know, the Joker is not the first popular character to be played by different actors. But he is one of the few characters like that where... So different, many different actors' performances are considered to be the definitive version. And that's fascinating to me because, you know, it's interesting to see different actors providing their own unique take on the same character. With Jack Nicholson's Joker from the 1989 film... I feel like his performance was definitely more akin to something that one would find in the Batman comics. He is definitely more of the typical uh, funhouse, goofy Joker who makes lots of comedic jokes and pulls pranks and things like that. And then you move on to Heath Ledger who played him in The Dark Knight. And, you know, when Heath was first casted, there's a big controversy over that because not a lot of people thought he would be a great choice. 
Well, he proved all of those naysayers wrong. Won a posthumous Oscar for his role. And even though he was playing the same character as Jack Nicholson, it's a very different version. His was more... It's very hard to describe Heath Ledger's Joker because there's so much mystery to his character, you know? You never know his true backstory. You never know what he's going to do next. And he kind of plays Joker as more of a uh, deranged, almost like a gangster, but not quite like a gangster. Kind of like a deranged, I don't know, gangster, mobster, boss, something kind of along those lines. And then now we have Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker in the new movie. And while I definitely feel like there are a lot of similarities between Joaquin's Joker and Heath Ledger's Joker, like I said before, with the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, it's really the first time that audiences have grown to sympathize with the Joker character. Neither, really none of Joker's previous outings in film, at least, have tried to establish him as being a character you should sympathize for. With Jack Nicholson, it's more of a character you kind of laugh at, and he's just kind of a funny villain. And then with Heath Ledger, he's someone you're supposed to be really afraid of. And that's not necessarily the case with Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. With Joaquin Phoenix, again, he's much more of a, a tragic villain who is kind of a product of the society he lives in. So it's just, it's so cool to me that we can have all these different versions of the Joker present. And, you know, now people are you know, people can debate which one is the best. And that's just a cool thing because to me, I'm not really sure what I want to say here. It's just fun. Something that I think a lot of comic book readers know, but still not a lot of film goers know is that the Joker is meant to be the polar opposite of Batman. Batman and Joker are, well, they're not necessarily, they're polar opposites in, in one sense, but they have kind of a binding chemistry. It's sort of a, it's because they're polar opposites that, that makes them so similar. Batman some, something that people don't often cite when it comes to talking about the Batman-Joker relationship is how each one in a lot of ways plays off of expectations. When you think of a bat, you think of dark colors. You think of, you know, blood sucking, things like that. And so, naturally, you would think that the villain character would be the one that has the bat-like qualities. 
And that's not the case. Obviously, Batman is the hero. And then a clown, like the Joker on the other hand, it's a lot of bright colors and generally speaking, good vibes. Yes, lots of people are afraid of clowns, but the purpose of clowns is to entertain and be friendly and make people laugh almost to an extent like something you'd expect from a superhero. But that's not the case because... That's what the Joker is. He is a clown. He can make you laugh. He can also disturb you. And he's the villain because of that. It's just really interesting to me. And even though, I mean, I said we were going to leave out Jared Leto as the Joker. And to be fair, I, he you could consider Jared Leto's Joker as part of this conversation as well. Because... Even though his take on the Joker is not particularly well-liked, and for good reason, it's still another iteration of the character that kind of, for better or worse, does its own thing. It's even at a point now where we've got, you know, the Lego Batman movie, where there's a Lego version of the Joker, played by Zach Galifianakis, and very well, too. It's just so funny how, you know, the Joker has become, well, not just he has become, he is debatably the most iconic comic book villain of all time, possibly undebatably. But not only that, he's one of the greatest villains of all time. And when it comes to great villains, it's hard to think of that many that have been played by different actors and have seen so many different iterations. When you think about a villain like Darth Vader, he's been around for years, but there's only one iteration of Darth Vader. Joker, that's not the case. There's so many different versions of him and each one has its own unique, puts its own unique spin, which is why it makes it kind of hard to determine which version of the Joker is actually the best. A lot of respect should also go to Mark Hamill. He, for those of you who don't know, is the voice of the Joker, not only on um, Batman the Animated Series, but in a lot of Batman-related uh, cartoons and video games, things like that. And in my opinion, he actually could be the best one because he really, his voice, his voice, Mark Hamill's voice as the Joker embodies the character in a way that really no other iteration of the character has. But what do I want to say here? The Joker is just... It's rare that you come across a character in literature that is as unique as the Joker. A lot of times when... Not not just in literature, but in movies, television, things like that. When there's a specific... When there's a character that character is generally considered to be 
the definitive version and there's there's very few different iterations of characters out there of famous ones to to reference star wars again you know when um alden ehrenreich when he was han solo in the han solo movie people did not take too warmly to that because harrison ford's performance was so defined as the as han solo i was about to say as the joker <laughs> if Harrison Ford wanted to play the Joker, that'd be awesome. Let's do it. Um, but you kind of see how that's sort of an example about how a, with a lot of characters, when you change who's portraying them or you change something about their origin story or you really just change anything about them, people tend to not respond to it very well but the Joker is one of those characters where clearly people respond to it enough for it to happen so often the Joker simply put the Joker is just a great character part of what makes the Joker great that I do feel like to an extent most iterations of the character in film and television have gotten right is there's a sense of mystery to him and that you don't always know his backstory you don't know what he's going to do next and that more than anything is what makes him crazy he's not some overly superpowered villain you would think that supposedly the best supervillain of all time would be insanely powerful and he's not he doesn't really have any powers he's just a crazy crazy human being and to me that really speaks to the strength of his character what makes him crazy is not his powers rather what makes him crazy and entertaining is that you don't know what he's going to do next. You don't know where he's been and you don't know where he's going to go. Those are my thoughts on the Joker character. So thank you guys very much to tune for tuning in to this new episode of Movies and Things. I hope you all have really enjoyed it. I'm gonna be try to I'm gonna try to roll out more episodes more frequently very soon. And like I said Thank you for tuning in, and this is Kate and Barry signing off.